Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to continue in the theme that the Torah portions have been addressing, and that is the comfort that comes from God. This week's Haftorah, um, Isaiah 54, speaks about comfort in a very particular way. It speaks to the barren woman, it speaks to the widow, and then to everyone who can identify with their plight. For the woman who's bereft and mourning because she has lost her beloved, or for the woman who has yearned for children but has not yet been able to have them, it speaks to the grief that, that she experiences. But interestingly, it also speaks about a solution to this need, and the solution, the Lord says, is found in him. And the Lord says in Isaiah 54, verse 5, to the women who are grieving, your husband is your maker. Adonai Tzavaot is his name. The Lord is saying, I will be a husband to you, to these women. You are not left alone. You are not going to be uh, the victim of life's sorrows because I am the Lord Almighty. I am the captain over battalions. If you were married to a general, you'd know that you were married to someone who is powerful. Well, I can tell you, the Lord is higher than a general. The Lord is higher than the commander-in-chief of the United States Armed Forces. The Lord is higher than all of the presidents and prime ministers and heads of state in this, in this world that we live in. The Lord has spiritual armies at his command, he has power in himself and of himself. And he is saying to women in grief, I'm with you, I'm looking out for you. You're not alone. So that is addressed to the women at the beginning, but then it goes on. It's really meant to be for all of us because the Lord also says, um, I, I'm married to you. And that's addressed to men and women. And we, in a sense, are the bride, and he's the bridegroom. That's what the Bible says. But in these days of gender confusion, it can be hard for us guys, I mean, under the best of terms, for us guys to get around this concept, I'm a bride? And with the gender confusion these days, uh, it can be bewildering. So what I'm saying is you can only go so far with that metaphor. Don't go too far. But it's important to recognize that, that God is, is to us. He's everything. He's, he's a husband. He's, he's a bridegroom. He's a father. But he's even more than that, and that's what the next passage in this verse speaks about. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. I want to focus on that. And you could reverse the order of the sentence and say it this way, your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. In the Hebrew, there's a concept that's, that's missing 
in the English. We all have some understanding of what the word redeemer means, but the Hebrew idea of redeemer is this, a kinsman redeemer, a near relative, a close relative who redeems you. You can read in Leviticus 25 on your own several different passages about the nature of the Redeemer's work. And when people fall on hard times, when they're enslaved, when they lose their property that's been granted to them as a land grant from the Lord in the land of Israel, when they become impoverished and can't pay their way out, when they run out of resources in such a desperate way that they have to sell themselves for a time, the Lord says, but you will be able to be redeemed, even in that situation. And if you can't redeem yourself, a kinsman can redeem you. And the examples that are given in Leviticus 25 are a brother, an uncle, or an uncle's son. Now what's an uncle's son? A cousin, that's the way we say it, a cousin. In some languages, cousin is said as brother. So a cousin could be called a brother. In any case, these are near relatives. They're part of the same family. They come from uh, the same ancestry. It's important to grasp this because that's what God is actually saying. I will be for you a close relative. And I will be for you like a brother, like an uncle, like a cousin. I will be for you like a brother. This is very different than being a husband. It's very different than being Abba. But the Lord is saying, I will become a redeemer for you. I will become part of your family. I will become part of the family you grew up in and that gathers together to celebrate family events. I will be close to you. I will take responsibility when, when you're in trouble to get you out of trouble, even if I have to pay the price myself that you couldn't pay. That's what the kinsman redeemer does. And so when we're reading in the English, none of that is conveyed in the actual words of the English, but in the Hebrew, it's embedded and it cannot be removed. It would be better if it said the Holy One of Israel is your kinsman redeemer, so that we would be forced at least to think about that. Now, some people could try to argue that the Holy One of Israel being your redeemer, being your kinsman redeemer, you know, that's, that's like a vague spiritual statement without specificity. For all those people, the next part of the verse is given. He will be called the God of all the earth. So anybody who has any question, the answer is already given. The Holy One of Israel is the God of all the earth. Do you see that? I want you to see it with your own eyes and to grasp that. Now there are three key propositions or components to this verse. The first one is we need redemption. That requires a redeemer. We need redemption. The scripture speaks about when someone's in trouble and they can redeem themselves. For instance, if, they're, uh, if they sell themselves into servitude because they can't pay the price uh, of the debt that they owe, then there may be a time when through their family resources, their own personal family resources, they have enough money to pay to uh, buy their freedom. They can buy their own freedom. 
However, this is not the case here because the Lord wouldn't say, I'm your redeemer if you don't need redemption. Do you see that? So that leads us to the second idea that's contained in this. We can't redeem ourselves. And then the third idea, and this is a a provocative idea, the Lord himself is our redeemer. He's our redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. He's a near relative who pays the price for us. The Lord says, I will do this for you. I will become this for you. And that raises a question, how does God become kinsman? It's one thing for God to say, I love you, right? It's wonderful and easy to understand that the invisible God, the God who created the whole universe and is outside of the universe could say, I send my love to you. That's an understandable concept at least. But how does he become a kinsman redeemer? Well, this question is something I think that we as messianic believers must be prepared to explain to other people. How does God become our kinsman redeemer? Well, guess what? Guess what? Do you see where we're going with this? When God took on a human body and was born, it was in order to fulfill this role as a kinsman redeemer. It's a provocative idea, but it's a necessary idea. Let me explain it this way, because genuinely people do have difficulty with this idea. How could God be born in a human body? How could God take on a human body? How could he be born at all into this physical world? Well, I can tell you this, God says he's gonna do it. I'm gonna become a kinsman redeemer. I'm gonna become a brother to you. I've talked to people who said, well, this is impossible. God can't do that. God cannot take on a human body. And my response is, that's interesting that you have personally discovered the one thing God can't do. (laughs) So you think God is almighty, but he can't do this. Interesting. Have you talked to God about this? No, that's that's just a smart aleck. But it's an important question. Can God take on a human body? Now, some people have difficulty with the idea that God could be born of a woman who um, gives birth in a normal way to a baby who is God in a baby's body. But let me, let me challenge you with the alternative, because there are like two versions that you could imagine, they're similar. One is that the kinsman redeemer, God in a human body, drops out of the sky and lands. Well, I can tell you this, he ain't part of the family. He's not one of us. Am I right? Because there is a rule in family life, somebody has to be gat. (laughs) I'm talking basic Bible here. This is Jewish Bible. (laughs) I mean, I I hope this doesn't seem uh, too unsophisticated to you. 
If it is, then you don't recognize how important and foundational this idea is. There must be a begatting. And this is why in the New Covenant Scriptures it describes Yeshua as the only begotten son. Do you get that? Because he was begat. you got to be begat in order to be part of the family. The alternative is that the baby drops from somewhere without any parentage and has to be adopted into the family, and then it's not a kinsman. It can become family, but it's not born into the family. To be kinsman as a redeemer, you have to be part of the nation, you have to be part of the tribe, you have to be part of the family. And so God says, and this is a provocative statement, God says through Isaiah, I am going to come to this earth as a kinsman redeemer. That's what's contained in this idea. I'm going to be present here as a kinsman redeemer for you, to which people go, how on earth can you do that? Now yesterday, one of the Messianic rabbis in the IMCS was writing about some conversation and friendship he's having with a noted Jewish academic, and they're talking about together some of the issues about Messiah and what makes Messianic Judaism Messianic and what makes it Judaism and so forth. And this particular uh, academic said, to be honest with you, I wish Isaiah had never been written. (laughs) And the reason is uh, there's so much in it that can be used to support your position. And it would be a whole lot easier if it just didn't even exist. And I thought, that's an interesting statement. You know, whenever somebody wants to edit the scriptures, it tells you something. That part of the scripture contains very important ideas. When Thomas Jefferson, as a theist, tried to take out all of the supernatural things uh, and create the Thomas Jefferson Reader's Digest version of the Bible, if you will. He edited it out a lot because he was a theist who didn't believe in the supernatural personal God who can be present in this earth in that fashion. That was his theology. He had some right understandings of God and some great understandings of democracy and republics, but he didn't understand the God of the scriptures. And for that reason, he wanted to delete things in the scriptures. It's an easy theological process. You come across a part you don't like, and you skip it. I remember a dear friend of mine, a pastor, was teaching through the book of Romans verse by verse. He came upon, and this was trouble because it was in chapter one. (laughs) And he came upon chapter one, verses 16 and 17, where Paul says, I am fully persuaded that The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And he covered verse 15 and verse 18 and moved on. And I met with him and said, what's that all about? And he said, well, this just doesn't fit into my understanding. 
Now, I'm a simple person. And so I said, why don't you change your understanding? It took him about 20 years to change his understanding. But I remember when we were talking together, you know, some 20 years later, he said, well, I really didn't get it. It was great that he made that adjustment. It was hard, but he made that adjustment. And it took a measure of humility, as you can imagine, to have that conversation. But I appreciated it. I remember a friend of mine who was a prophetic sort, he had prophetic words from the Lord for Sandy and me that were instrumental in our ministry in the Messianic movement, but it was before we were even part of the Messianic movement. But he used his Christian prophetic terminology to try to communicate. Actually, let me put it this way. God used specific terminology that our friend understood a certain way. So he said, like, you'll be a pillar of Zion and a mother in Israel to Sandy, you know, and things like that. And what he meant was, you'll be a leader in the Christian church, the Gentile church. And there were like five or six things like that where he meant it one way, but if you just looked at the words, you'd realize this has to do with serving with Jewish people. So, like 10 years later, we were having lunch together, and I understood he, he came from a replacement theology background. And God had told me, um, in, in, a, in a gentle but a clear way, that I should be glad for Jerry, that I should appreciate him. And I was arguing with the Lord, but he's replacement theology. And the Lord said, that doesn't really matter. I used him for you. I used him for good, for you. And I thought, I am glad. I'm not mad. I'm not angry. I'm glad. I don't even need him to change. And so then I realized God can use replacement theology people even for good. He can use our enemies, he can use those who oppose us, he can use those who disagree with us, because God is able, and this is part of the Torah portion, which I won't go into, God is able to turn what is meant for one purpose into his purpose. It's, it's the, the form of the word that I like most is hafuch. You've heard me say that, hafuch, say that with me. Hafuch, it means to turn upside down. In, in Israel, if you want a cappuccino, you order cafe hafuch, upside down coffee. <laughs> He's able to turn things under, uh, upside down. And the scripture speaks uh, this week about how there were curses coming from Balaam, but God turned them upside down. He turned curses into blessings. The story of the life of Joseph contains the same idea, that what his brothers meant for evil, God turned into good. Important to understand, they didn't do good, but the outcome became good. Do you get that? And just to make it clear, Joseph said, I'm Joseph, your brothers, who you sold into slavery. Just in case you were wondering, that's what you did. And that's who I am, if you're wondering, like, 
whoa, is this a doppelganger? Is this a, a twin Joseph? No, I'm the one you sold into slavery. I'm that one. That's why they were speechless. And Joseph had to grasp this, that what had been done with the intent of evil had been transformed by the power of God and had been turned upside down. God turned what was meant for evil into something that produced good. That is what our God can do. And so it's good to have this in your vocabulary. Hafuch. Hafuch. And to know that even if you can't use all the variant forms of it in Hebrew, it doesn't even matter. If you can recognize a hafuch moment in your life, either a need for hafuch or where God has turned something hafuch upside down. He's overturned it. He's overruled it. He has transformed the natural outcome. This is connected to an idea that we read about in the New Covenant Scriptures. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He, calls, he causes all things. Let's say that, all things. Even things meant for harm. Even things born of harm he can change. And that's why we're not left, left just as powerless victims in this world, because God can get a hold of even the evil that was done against us, and he can transform it. It's important to grasp that. That's one of the ways that God works redemption in this broken world on our behalf. Back to the idea of Redeemer. God says, I'm gonna come and be for you a near kinsman, and so he has to be begotten. Do you get that? He has to be begotten. I'm coming back to that idea that you got to begat in order to be in the family. And so God is, is declaring, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to come to you as a human being with a human body that's a regular old body, it has to grow up. It's a regular old body, it's subject to uh, bruises and skinned knees and bleeding. He was bruised for our iniquities, right? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was in a human body. And yet, the eternal God is going to take on, he's going to cloak himself in this. Now, some people say, well, that's just not possible. But I want to assure you that from the beginning of the Jewish scriptures to the end of the Jewish scriptures and, on, uh, and onward, there is a clear word that God wants to send his spirit to be in his children. The prophet Joel said it this way, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and blood. Do you get that? My spirit on all flesh and blood. Do you see the contradiction of ideas? You've got spirit, you've got flesh and blood. The Lord is saying, I am gonna, I'm gonna do it. I am gonna do it. This is not a human plan, this is God's plan and necessary that we recognize it and adjust our theology to accommodate it. So God is saying, I'm gonna come as a kinsman redeemer. In order to be a close kinsman, he has to be born in the family. He has to. 
be part of us. And so God who can be father and God who can be bridegroom in a, in a vast sense says, I'm going to be as close to you as a brother. I'm going to actually become a brother to you. A brother to you. A brother. I got a call yesterday from my big brother, Mark. And uh, yesterday I turned 65. And yeah, I, I, I feel like a teenager which gets me in trouble. I don't have the same body as a teenager. But that doesn't matter. I have the same sense of humor <laughs> and crudeness <laughs> and clumsiness. That's another story. So Mark said, happy birthday. And I said, thank you, big brother. You know what that makes you? If you're my big brother and you've got a little brother who's 65, and he said, oh. And he said, but I don't feel that old. And I said, thank you. I don't either. So let's just keep going. <laughs> Yeshua said, I'm going to come like a brother. God says, I will be a brother. And thus we understand that if God has a plan to pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh and blood, to actually take up residence inside of us, his actual plan is for God to be incorporated into many human bodies in a different way, of course, by his spirit. But this is part of the mandate of Messiah. Messiah, who, who died for us, also rose from the dead for us, ascended, returned to heaven in order, as he said, to complete something, to send his Holy Spirit do you see that? That also is part of the messianic mission and mandate. If you only think that Yeshua died for us in order to pay for our sins, you don't understand the full dimension and orb of the ministry of Messiah. Messiah also had to return to heaven to send the Spirit of God. Now, for some people, the, uh, the sound and aesthetics of the Spirit of God and God are okay. Well, it's okay with me if God puts his spirit in everybody. I'm okay with that. But the idea that God could do it for himself, that he could create and participate in the creation of a human body, and then he could put himself inside that body, that is aesthetically unpleasing to some people and troubling to some people. And to them, I would just say, God knows how you think, and he meant to trouble you. because he's the one who said he would become a kinsman redeemer. He could have said something else. When he says, I'll be your savior, it doesn't require being a kinsman redeemer. I want you to understand that. But when he says kinsman redeemer, it triggers something. Whoa, wait a minute. You're gonna become one of us? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't like that. Tough. And to make it clear, Isaiah says this idea many, many times. I, the Lord, am your redeemer. 
Now this is also an important concept that helps us understand we can't redeem ourselves, we need a redeemer. Many religious systems have a different idea. They think you can redeem yourself. The Jewish version is this. Keep all the commandments and you will redeem yourself. Um, Keep Jewish halakha, Jewish law, and you can redeem yourself. In fact, there are many people who think, I will, I will do enough good that God will weigh the good and the bad, and I will be with him in heaven. Many people have that idea. There's a Catholic version of this. How many of you are familiar with that? There's a Baptist version of this. How many of you are familiar with that? Some. But there's a Messianic Jewish version of it. And it goes like this, I'm gonna redeem myself. And it has some variants. One of the variants is, I'm gonna learn the Jewish way of redeeming yourself. And I'm gonna learn Jewish customs, I'm gonna learn Jewish traditions, I'm gonna learn Jewish commandments. And then the language becomes, I'm gonna keep Torah. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna observe all the commandments. Which is the language of the Jewish version of it. But I can tell you this, you can't keep all the commandments. It's not possible. It's not possible. And if you try, you know what you're doing? You are unseating God, your Redeemer, and you're taking his place. It'll kill you. It will do harm to you. You can't redeem yourself. You cannot perfectly keep all the commandments of God. And there are a lot of reasons. One reason is some of the commandments are temple-bound and the temple no longer stands. The temple no longer stands because the system of sacrifice has changed. That's why it's not standing. It's been changed. There there are other reasons why you can't keep the commandments. Some of them are, are tied to antiquity and could only be done in the days of old and can't be done now in modernity. Some of them are tied to agricultural systems that require depending on your agriculture in ways that you don't. There are a lot of different reasons. But if you then understand that according to that system, if you break any of the law, it's as if you broke all the law. And this is to help us understand something that Yom Kippur is explicit about and and Torah is explicit about. Even the high priest falls short, sins, is guilty, cannot keep Torah perfectly. So if you think you're better than the high priest, I have news for you. You're not. We can't redeem ourselves. Now there's another kind of personality that has difficulty with this, and that is the highly conscientious person who feels really guilty, really bad when they don't meet the highest standard they set for themselves. And there's a solution for you, and that is to recognize you can't meet the high standard you set. It's an important standard. You wanna keep aiming high, but you can't always meet it, and when it comes to God, you will fail. Now there's another solution I want to 
caution you to avoid this one. The other solution for that is to find schlamazels to compare yourself to. <laughs> and louses. And find some really creepy person and say, well, I'm better than he is. And that will make you feel better. And many people do this in order to justify themselves before God because they're still in the system of trying to redeem themselves. And that works psychologically, but it doesn't work spiritually because when you compare yourself to a perfect God, to a holy God, to a God without any flaw whatsoever who is always true, and always loving, who perfectly combines mercy and justice, and who always can attend to truth and compassion. And when you compare yourself to him, you fall short. So you can pick a schlepper and a schlump to compare yourself to and make yourself feel better, but it won't solve the problem. It will only reveal that you're trying to redeem yourself. Now, there are some people who say, well, I'm just going to learn all the Jewish traditions. And I can tell you, even if you try to out-Jew the Jews, <laughs> you will not defeat us. It's impossible to master all the Jewish traditions. And the reason is some of the Jewish traditions are in conflict with each other. For instance, do you stand or sit during the Shema? Mm-hmm. You didn't even know that, some of you, that that's a question. Ask me one day, I'll tell you a hilarious joke about it, but it takes five minutes and we're out of time for that. You can't redeem yourselves. You need a redeemer. And so I want to encourage you, and, and then the last group of people that can get themselves in trouble are perfectionists. Uh, and type A personalities, high achievers, task-oriented people who set high goals and try to accomplish them, and perfectionists. So the, the problem for such people is they can go into a psychological guilt spiral that defeats them. Don't fall into that. Recognize this. When you see you're falling short, thank the Lord for Yeshua, your kinsman redeemer. Now you know why you need him, because you do fall short. If you try to save yourself, it will ruin you. As a Messianic Jew, it will get you in trouble. As a Messianic Gentile, it will get you in trouble. Don't try to do this. Here's the comfort. Here's the good news of this whole Haftor portion. God will do for you what you can't do for yourself. And he will redeem you, and you can't redeem yourself. He will pay the price. That's why he came down from heaven and took on a human body to become our kinsman redeemer. That's why he died for us. That's why he rose the dead for us, from the dead for us. That's why he returned to heaven and didn't just stay here and sent his Holy Spirit for us. That's why God has done all these things for us. You have to grasp that so you don't fall into the traps and so that you get out of any trap that you're in. Let's pray. Lord, deliver us from the desire to redeem ourselves. Deliver us from every false effort to redeem ourselves. Deliver us from the lie that we can redeem ourselves. Deliver us from every religious system that has influenced us about redeeming ourselves. And instead, let us trust you 
and thank you and be grateful to you and mindful that you have become our kinsman redeemer in Yeshua, our Messiah, Yeshua Adonai. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Hey, this is pretty good today. It's strong. You know, we're going after some important things. I want you to be free. The Lord bless you, and the Lord guard you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you, and the Lord show his undeserved mercies to you in his grace. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace through Yeshua the Messiah, who is the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Shabbat shalom.